Hello and welcome to the United Bias. I'm Kiran Chetty and today I'm joined by Ruben Cornier. Hey Ruben, how are you? Hey Kiran, how's it going? Um, yeah, I'm not doing too badly. I'm sitting here in Johannesburg, which uh, normally sunny and warm, but at the moment I can inform you is kind of chilly and unpleasant, which makes me kind of jealous because I know that you right now, as we talk here, are sitting in Valencia having an absolute whale of a time. Uh, let's hear a bit, a bit more about that. Uh, yes, yeah, it's uh, it's actually actually it was a bit uh, slightly on the chilly side, believe it or not. And today is the first real good weather day. But uh, all things uh, considered, yeah, pretty good. Um, I actually managed to get to the Mestalla yesterday to watch the relegation scrap between Valencia and uh, Espanol. Awesome. So what you're telling me is we actually managed to get an on-site reporter to to tell us about what the goings on are at Valencia after what happened with Vinny Junior. Uh, as we were talking about last week, yes, yes, it, it was. It felt like you know one of those correspondents going into a war zone. Uh, so I, I, I braved the racists and uh, made my way to the Mistaya. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I think key to survival was saying things like, "Ah, Gary Neville, rubbish," you know, <laughs> and that might have bought me some favor with the, with the fans. <laughs> Uh, are you telling me they haven't built a statue of Gary Neville? Not as yet. Uh, not uh, as yet. Uh, yeah, not they, as yet. they don't okay. don't don't speak of uh, Gary Neville in revered tones like like they do at uh, Old Trafford. That's for sure. Yeah, no, definitely not as his greatest run. Well, kind of his only run as manager, wasn't it? But definitely not the greatest. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so how was? Uh, how... Yeah, so so the actual experience itself, I, I I was blown away. You know, I've been to some big stadiums around the world. FNB in Joburg, what's that, 90,000. Maracanã, also around eighty to 90,000 for a World Cup final. Brazil, well, no, it was in Brazil, it was Argentina, Germany. I've seen the MCG pact, which is 110,000, give or take, for a cricket World Cup final. I've been to Old Trafford mm. for United Liverpool, you know, amongst many other great sporting arena. But honestly, this was this was something else. I can't explain it. It, it You know, I think Mestai is only like 45, 45 to 50,000 people. But I think it's the fan culture. Uh, not the racist fan culture, but just the fan culture of following the, the team and the way they support their team. It was uh, spectacular. And, and tell me something. I, I know that part of their punishment that, that was handed down by La Liga was partial stadium closure. Was that in, in effect when you went there? I, I know it was one of the stands that was supposed to be closed. Yeah, know, so, so there were incident. like a few sections that were closed, but the majority of the stadium was open. I'd say 90% of the stadium was open. So, yeah, it wasn't much of a punishment, to be honest. And, and it was funny because like, I, I took some pictures and there was a big sign saying, basically, no to racism. And, you know, it was obviously done in Spanish. And then just adjacent to it, there was a giant poster saying, respect our fans, which I thought was kind of ironic. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no to racism, but let's respect our fans because our fans are not racist, obviously. Oh, they, they, would never, they would never do such things. No, no, we've got such respect for fans that, yeah, they've, they've earned your respect. Yeah, so all in all, it was, it was look, as a fan experience, I, I said, the singing, the culture, the chanting, it was so loud there. And I guess, you know, it could be the last home game of the season, I think it was. And the fact that this is a game to stay up so that the crowd was really up to support the team. But before the game, an hour and a half before the game, outside the stadium, it was loud. Into the stadium was loud, and throughout it was just absolute chaos. When when uh, Valencia scored the equalizer in uh, in injury time, so it was pandemonium. So yeah, great great experience at the stadium, and and I didn't we didn't experience anything untoward. 
year. People seem friendly and nice, but they weren't so nice to Vinny Jr. a week ago. But uh, yeah, in, in person, I have nothing, nothing negative to say. Yeah, so uh, no, I, I do think, you know, it's, it's interesting that you can kind of get this, I don't know if it speaks to the duality of man or whatever it is, but, you know, on, on the one hand, your experience is that you arrive there, it's this amazing fan experience, and, you know, you, you've had a great time, and, and I mean, it sounds like you're saying, you know, you never even felt really much of a, of a hint of it, but, you know, as soon as things turn ugly, how quick it is for people to, you know, kind of their bad side to come out, it's that kind of mob culture almost of, uh, you, you know, oh, well, one guy has started piling on and making monkey chants and all these kind of, you know, disgraceful things that people get up to. And, and then they'll turn around and a week later are perfectly capable of, of providing a very welcoming experience for you. It's it's kind of strange that people both, you know, seeing the best and the worst of people sometimes. Yeah, and, and I think that speaks to just man in general. True character of man is, is seen in, in difficult mm. times, as you say. It's not when the sun is shining. So it is what it is. And a good event, uh, nonetheless, good experience, nonetheless. I will say ridiculously expensive. I was surprised at how expensive the tickets were. Okay, granted, the seats were nice, but it wasn't in a suite or anything fancy. And it was 90 euro a ticket, which is know, absurd. I think it's, I think it's absurd, yeah. especially as, as a South African with the, what we pay for, for sporting events. I just thought it was an incredible sum of money to pay for a, for a football game. But it's what you do when you're in Europe, I guess. I think, I think, I think it's time to move on. And I think um, something... An unfortunate or a stat that I saw going around on the internet yesterday, uh, Sunday, was that Kingsley Coleman has won the league title every year from the 2012-13 season to the 22-23 season, which unfortunately, like I said last week when we were talking about Dortmund potentially winning the league, I've seen the story too many times and I've seen Dortmund bottle it. And unfortunately, <laughs> Dortmund threw it away again. Where all they needed was to match or better Bayern's record. And uh, they drew two all at home to Mainz. Ruben, what went wrong? What happened to Dortmund on Sunday? I, th- I think, you know, I, I appreciate the stat you've just quoted, but when I heard it, it was that Kingsley Coman has won every Farmers League every year that he's ever played in. Maybe he should come and test out his theory trying to get Spurs or, or someone to, <laughs> to get over the line. Uh, but yeah, no, listen... What a we what a way to to end the Bundesliga. Uh, you know, it's last week we were kind of all excited at the thought of Bayern's ten year streak being broken, and you know, I mean, look, full disclosure, I should even have been excited about uh, another Munich victory. You know, my my wife's family is is actually from Bavaria uh, and live about an hour away from Munich, and you know, uh, so by rights that should have been quite enjoyable. And another thing, Kieran, do you know what song Dortmund sing before their games kick off? I do. Yes. It's and it's it's tough tough listening. Uh, it's it's you'll never walk alone, uh, listeners. For those of you who weren't necessarily aware, and and of of course they they do revere Jurgen Klopp as as the last person to have to have stopped uh, to have stopped the, the great Munich machine. So yeah, look, it's it's a little bit of a split um, split loyalty. You know, it's, it's I have some plenty of personal reasons to to be happy that that Munich uh, won, but I just you know it's it's just very difficult to see that kind of endless procession. But that's it. Yeah, I mean, quite an interesting final day. A lot of drama, obviously, going into it with Dortmund being two points ahead. You know, the permutations were really that if, if Dortmund pull off the win, uh, it's it's theirs, you know. So it was, in a sense, theirs to throw away. And and even if uh, Munich had, had drawn, that still wasn't enough. So, you know, it, Munich had to get the win to put the pressure on 
on Dortmund uh, and they just absolutely spectacularly choked. I mean, it was, you know, against a, a Mainz team that, uh, if I recall correctly, had lost either four or five on the spin and, and quite heavily. I mean, they, they got, uh, you know, hammered in those games. Uh, you know, I weren't exactly bringing the best form uh, through to the game against Dortmund. Dortmund is at home, Bayern Munich was away. It was really all set up for them. Um, and next thing they find themselves 2-0 down. And and that uh, on the back of unfortunately uh, what could have been a really good story, uh, fairy tale ending in tatters, which is that uh, Hala, you know, obviously came you know sort of back having you know won his battle with cancer, and I think maybe it was that emotional aspect that that made him give the penalty to him, even though I believe he hadn't been their uh, penalty taker for the rest of the season. That said, he does have a good penalty record generally. I think it's something like twenty seven out of twenty eight. But uh, but yeah, so he he takes the penalty, and and of course as as we've seen. Not the greatest take, save fairly, you know, fairly easy save. And, and, you know, from that moment on, instead of getting the equalizer, a couple of minutes later, they concede the second goal to Mainz. And from that, from that minute on, it's basically all an uphill battle. Of course, they, they did claw one back and then things seemed to finally turn in their favor when Bayern, who'd held the lead from relatively early in the game, then went and conceded a penalty in the 80th minute. Uh, to Köln, who uh, managed to convert their penalty, and so suddenly it looked like ten minutes to go. It's Dortmund's Dortmund ahead, and then of course the hammer blow. Munich scores in the 89th minute. Siala uh, on top of uh, also a very good goal on top of an absolute thunderbolt um, slightly earlier in the game from Komen, who seemed to single-handedly be wanting to keep his streak going. And then yeah, the, even despite a bit of late drama, Dortmund getting the the goal in the 95th minute, uh, you know, managing to actually pull them level on points. It uh, yeah, just wasn't enough. Uh, league lost on goal difference, which is is just an extra level of heartbreak. And uh, yeah, sort of uh, drama, but but ultimately disappointing drama for those who are, are fans of um, the sort of game in a more general sense. I think. I think some perspective is also necessary. I saw an interesting stat doing the rounds by um, Swiss Ramble Twitter, and he he showed the disparity in income between the different leagues and Bayern Munich. Borussia Dortmund, there's a wage bill difference of 73% between the, the two clubs. With Bayern Munich's uh, wage bill, uh, lost uh, published wage bill being 373 million euro to, yeah. to uh, Dortmund's 216, you know. So 153, 48 million more euros spent on a wage bill. And that disparity is bigger, you know, the first, first, first place versus second place is bigger than in, far bigger than England, Spain, and Italy, and only is dwarfed by you know the um, the shenanigans going on in France, where PSG have the, the highest wage bill in world football. So some perspective is necessary. Dortmund have an exceptionally young team; they don't buy the top of the shelf players. And the, the stats guys will tell you this: if you look at something like soconomics, which really is one of the bibles, ultimately what matters in football is not the manager; it's not how the transfer fees. But it's the wage bill. And typically the team with the highest wage bill in any league is the one that is more likely to succeed. And so when you're dealing with such a disparity, it's very difficult uh, with the resources to compete with Bayern Munich. So, you know, Dortmund players obviously feel will feel gutted by this, but uh, it's difficult to compete. It's, you know, you're taking a knife to a gunfight, so to speak. Yeah. And I mean, I think I mean, I think I probably saw probably you said those stats to me. That the only other league that has a relatively comparable disparity is, is of course, the French league, and and you know that, I, mean, I think it's a little bit more competitive. I mean, certainly PSG haven't won 
10 leagues in a row but but you know generally it's it's an unusual season if PSG don't take the title there and so yeah I mean it's it's probably yeah, one of the strongest indicators of course um, uh, you know as as to which team is, is going to be winning the league it's so, yeah, I guess what it reminds me of a little bit is the American political system where, you know, there it's pretty much just a case of follow the money. You know, almost always an election tends to be won by the person who's, who's put the most money into that or who has the most backing. And, and so, you know, it's kind of comparable in that sense. And it's, it's kind of why you often have a situation where the haves end up with more and the have-nots end up struggling or, you know, as we often see with clubs, um, I mean, sort of slightly preempting our, our relegation discussion coming up shortly where a smaller club can just you know step a foot wrong once and and that can kind of derail many years of sort of building towards a, a larger goal so yeah I, I don't really know what the the best model is and this is what financial fair play is also supposed to stop and it just doesn't seem to actually slow that that march down yeah and and i, I guess the, the answer is uh, we don't know and there's no, it's difficult one to unpack and understand and free markets incentivize uh, success and it's difficult it's a difficult position to get to overcome the buy and juggernaut with fan ownership i i guess as a model so unless you get someone else throwing money in and putting a club in a position to challenge Bayern Munich from a financial point of view it's really difficult to see this dominance ending anytime soon and you know akin to almost Manchester City now you know you mentioned the Farmers League but Manchester City have won the league five five out of six times in England and and that sort of meme comes to mind you know are we the farmers now <laughs> when no one looking at the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the English league because uh yeah the English league is heading in a similar direction unless some of these other the, the traditional juggernauts don't get their act together uh, okay that's enough about uh, Germany let's move on to the Premier League and it was an exciting day at the at the bottom end of the table uh, last week. I believe you and Slide uh, predicted that Everton would stay up, and it was looking dicey for a while there. Leicester City went into a two-goal lead quite quickly, quite early on against West Ham, so they looked like they were in the pole position. Leeds were down in the second minute, I think. Harry Kane scored, so Leeds were on the back yeah, foot. I think it must be one of the quickest goals running. of the season. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and then you had um, Everton holding on for dear life against Bournemouth, the 0-0, uh, until I believe it was the 60-60-odd minute where Decore scored a, scored a, a spectacular goal to put them ahead. Yeah, that uh, I mean, it was an absolute bullet of a goal from, from Decore, and he really, you know, I, th- I think what it's probably fairly easy to point to him as, as maybe a symptom of what was working, uh, well, what wasn't working under Lampard and what ended up working uh, under Deitch. You know, I'm not sure exactly what those things are, but, you know, the, the Courier obviously was uh, somewhat banished from Frank's squad. Uh, he, he said he was out in the cold. Uh, and, I mean, obviously he'd, you know, under Deitch, just had you know a little bit of a, maybe renaissance is a strong word, but he managed to to put through, I think it was five goals he's put through since uh, Deitch has taken over, you know. And, um, you know, so it t- turns out that... Uh, that maybe all you need is is that little bit of uh, you know just change of uh, change of personnel or change of who's at the top and and you go from having somebody who's now been accused of of being lazy being out of shape um, and actually ends up scoring what is going to be in uh, Everton's history probably probably one of the most important goals that that they've had scored you know it's not their first escape on the final day I think it may have been you know the, the two previous occasions it wasn't even under their control at least this was 
I suppose, under their control. So as soon as that goal went in, you know, they, they kind of knew that was them back in the driving seat. Uh, Leicester, I think they obviously did, did as much as they could on the day. Leeds just, yeah, n- never really looked in it, uh, you know, and to be honest, I mean, any three of those, I think any, any three of those, if they'd gone down, you would have not complained. And certainly Everton, uh, what is it, 37% possession or something like that. Again, fairly typical, fairly typical Sean Dyche stat, but it doesn't exactly scream, you know, we're going to come storming back up the league. Come And of course, I think Everton have got, you know, I mean, they've got problems on the horizon. We spoke about their, you know, financial fair play charges, um, and they've, they're kind of locked in a bad situation now. They spent a lot of money, not very well, and they can't really spend their way back out of it because now they're, you know, their hands are largely tied. They can't invest big anymore. The, the days of largesse are over, and it's difficult to see how they're, they're going to do anything other than sort of scrape around the bottom half of the league uh, until, you know, what one year the, their number comes up and finally the relegation happens that's been threatened for a little while. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know your take. I don't know how, what their escape plan is, is for you. Well, I think it begins with the ginger Mourinho that they <laughs> correctly identified. I yeah. mean, Sean Dash has done a hell of a job turning around their fortunes. And uh, their squad is exceptionally unbalanced. They've got no striker. I mean, Calvert-Lewin has been pretty much injured for the last two seasons. And the odd appearance here and there when he's played, he's looked really good. But we've seen it at a, at a higher level with Manchester United struggling with, you know, Vagost uh, up top. So they've had a similar issue, an inability to score goals, as you say, just an imbalanced squad. Dash proved it at Burnley where they were spending nothing year on year, real pittance, and, and made them mainstay in the Premier League. Uh, so I think I think given even Everton's limited resources and the scale of the club and the everything behind it, the revenues and everything that Everton attracts, I think Everton is still, if you look at at globally, they're still one of the biggest clubs from a revenue perspective, uh, in terms of fan support and engagement. So the potential is there with Everton, and they of course they are getting their new stadium. I think if Sean Dyche is able to you know just keep them up. For a few seasons, remember this. He took over yeah. in turmoil. The club was in turmoil. Frank Lampard disaster class once again, and um, I think that with a bit of time, with an off season, Dash could pick up a few shrewd signings here and there, and and he'll be able to. You know, he's. I think he's an excellent manager. I think he's one of those just truly remarkable managers who you know, makes um, makes wine from water, so to speak. And and I think he'd be able. He's gonna. Yeah, the opposite of a checkbook manager. Really. Yes, uh, yes, he absolutely is. So so I'd be. I'm really curious to see what happens with a historically great club like Everton and Sean Dyche. And if he gets is able to get a little bit of backing, I, I think they'll be okay. I I I, I think Sean Dyche is just an excellent manager, and um, hopefully he'll be able to steady the ship there and um, turn them around. With maybe with perhaps even with the foot Calvert Lewin next season, I think you know they they. They're destined to for better things. Yeah, I think, I mean, certainly if he's firing on, on all cylinders, I mean, heck, I seem to recall talk a season or two back of people thinking he'd be a decent budget backup option at, at Old Trafford. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't think he would ever quite have been the right fit, but yeah, I mean, maybe they, you know, maybe the solution is is already at the club. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, as we said, Leeds, uh, <laughs> possibly a well well-deserved uh, drop-down. Uh, do you see them bouncing back up anytime soon? Well, they've got the financial backing, uh, but, you know, the championship's tough. Yeah. And and they've got the financial backing, and they still have, they'll have the the payments 
um, that trickle down to to the championship for the relegated side. So I, I think they'll do okay. I, they still yeah the parachute, the parachute payments. payments yeah. Yes, thanks. For, I, I think they 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 are they've got a good squad. I think all things considered, I think the instability with changing three managers across the season didn't help them. Uh, I think that they need to sort it out. And also yeah. the style of play of all three managers were drastically different. So I think they need to do a bit of long-term planning on the lead side, figure out what the direction is going to be, a sustainable uh, pattern of play, get a manager who's going to work towards that. And I think they've got the tools, of course, to come up. Now the question is, how many of those players are going to leave? And And that's... You know, it's always with relegation. How many of those mm. players are prepared to stay, to take the step down, to come and fight and help you get up? And I think that's going to be the challenge with Leeds. And, and, and importantly with Leicester, where I think there's also going to be a lot of turmoil in terms of goings, uh, players going out of the club. Because there are some quality players at, at, at both teams and would probably yeah. want to be playing at, in the Premier League uh, or, or elsewhere in a, in, a, in, a national first, in a first division somewhere uh, in the world. So I think both teams face similar sort of challenges. Yeah, and uh, I mean, look, I mean, I know obviously it's it's sort of almost a, a tradition at this point for everyone to start dissecting the, the teams that are going down and and asking who you know who can be raided on the cheap and and be brought across. Um, you know, I mean, I think uh, you know, I, mean, I think there's a few names that show up. You know, from the from the relegated clubs. You know, I mean, two seasons ago, yeah, again, maybe you're talking Telemans. Uh, you know, I mean. James Ward-Prowse, I mean, he might be the only name from Southampton that people are ready to snap up. Uh, you know, I, they may surprisingly keep a little more of their squad than they'd thought in place. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose we'll see how our transfer silly season pans out there. Yeah, I think, I think there's quite a few. And I think we'll go into that in another episode. But just, you know, sort of top line, I, I think people are going to be queuing up for, for Harvey Barnes. I think they're going to be queuing up for maybe Patson Dacker, uh, James mm-hmm. Madison. Madison I'm Definitely sure. Madison. So I think there's a few that, that are really going to be highly sought after. Ricardo Pereira's had his injury issues, but before his injury issues, I, I thought he looked like quite a dynamic right back and you know destined for, for a team higher up the table at some point. So he's another one out of, out of um, Leicester. And then on the Southampton side, I think I actually think, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the obvious one and all the analytics guys are talking about is, is about uh, James Ward-Prowse going to uh, set-piece FC, you know, that being Brentford. So it makes a world of sense for, for a player like him to go to yeah. Brentford. And, and, and the most exciting one is, is probably Romeo Lavia. I, I, think, I think he's a hell of a player, hugely talented and uh, destined for greatness. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him move to um, someone in the top half of the table. I think he'd be a great addition for, for Spurs. I think he'd be a great addition for United. I think I could see him really going to almost any team there as an understudy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and working his way through, I think he's just, you know, I think he's still a teenager. So I think he's one to look out to for sure. Mm-hmm. Few few names to look out for, and then uh, yeah, I mean, speaking of the well, those are the teams going down. I mean, the teams coming up. I, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but uh, well, I, the stat was rather interesting. Luton Town uh, at the same in the same season that Leicester got their uh, crazy, you know, obviously five thousand to one uh, league win. Luton Town was sitting, finishing, I think it was something like 11th in, in League 2, which, you know, is four steps down the football pyramid, and they've just swapped leagues. So, yeah, it's, it's I mean, amazing how fortunes can, can twist and turn. But Luton's uh, stadium, I mean, I think the entrance to their, like, West Stand is kind of between a chip shop and a barber or something ridiculous, if you've, if you've seen the photos doing the rounds on, 
on social media. So yeah, I mean that'll be quite the quite the story. I suppose they might might be in for a shock coming up coming up to the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Um, <laughs> the, I, I believe they're going to have to spend quite a bit of money um, in order to get the stadium up to yeah. standard or up to some sort of spec. And yes, it'll be um, the smallest, lowest capacity ground in the Premier League, I believe, since um, uh, I think Bournemouth is currently the smallest ground in the Prem. So I, I believe that they, they take the mantle as only 10,000 people, which is, you know, it's truly remarkable to see such a tiny stadium and, and as you say not just a not just a tiny stadium but also really dilapidated and, and you know speaking to uh, some some friends yeah. from london luton isn't exactly the most glamorous place in in england so yeah as well so we'll need a lot of work uh, at the stadium but yes remarkable story to see little uh, luton town make their way to the premier league they got a guy, I'm reading his name here, because I mean, of course, not that any of us have ever heard of it. Peli Radak Mpanzu is his name. He literally came up with him from non, non-league non tiers to the Premier League. I mean, that's like that's like your mate from the pub team playing in the Premier League in, in a few years' time. I mean, it's, it's kind of an incredible story, but um, yeah, uh, it'll be fun to see how they go next year. Absolutely. Speaking of other teams that are on the ascendancy, we look at the likes of Brighton with uh, Deserby, Roberto Deserby taking over from Graham Potter and absolutely flying this year, you know, playing expansive, dynamic uh, football, finishing in sixth place. Uh, really much, very much so reminding me of an early, uh, early Klopp, you know, whether it was uh, his earlier Dortmund days or his early, earlier Liverpool days. High intensity, uh, pressing, really much front foot. Attacking football, um, hugely impressive stuff from Brighton making it into the Europa League. Yeah, look, I mean that's that's yeah, really an, an incredible, um, not, not a, I mean not not a total out of nowhere sort of progression. I mean, if you look at their, you know, the way they've been building a couple of seasons uh, sort of in a row, uh, that they've all been, you know, sort of increasing their points finishes, slowly creeping up the table. So, you know, I mean, everybody talks about their, you know, wow, their recruitments and, you know, picking up Matoma for a song and, and look at him now and, you know, out of nowhere, World Cup winners with McAllister in their midfield and, you know, everybody, you know, Kaiser Dao making his move. So, you know, I mean, just, you know, seemingly a midfield that is, one of the envies of the Premier League, um, actually, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, we know that that's often one of the most difficult things to assemble. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's been very methodical, um, feels more sustainable than, than I think some of these overperforming, if you want to call it that, uh, smaller teams. And, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I mean, you have to pick them for, you know, if, if they don't get, if the vultures don't descend and, and sort of pick that team apart, which, you know, as I say, other than uh, Kaisadao, who I, I think, you know, probably may, well, has, has fairly good odds of moving. I mean, you know, hopefully if they can keep that team together, they'll make a really good push for, really good push for Champions League places next year. I mean, you say that it's not out of nowhere, but I, I mean, of course they were steady and they made exceptional progress over the years. But remember the criticism with Potter was that they were always underperforming their XG by a huge amount and they just couldn't score goals. You know, they, they, they looked great in the eye. They created lot yeah. of, lots of chances. But all of a sudden, they've turned into this force of nature in front of goals with Matoma, McAllister, a March contributing 
Uh, just everyone, yeah. Evan Ferguson, uh, Danny Welbeck. It didn't matter almost. Um, Dennis Undar mm. recently. Yeah, yeah, Danny Welbeck. Yeah, right? in the year 2023. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is just incredible. And, mm. and it's, it's a hallmark of a, of a great system and a great manager. And, you know, Pep was recently praising this, uh, Roberto De Zerbi prior to the game last week against City and uh, saying something along the lines of he's one of the most influential managers of the last couple of decades in terms of his system and style and what he brings. And, and, and you know, Pep always likes to blow a bit of smoke. We've noticed that to opposing players and coaches. He loves that from time to time. And I think he's got a point here. I think yeah. Roberto De Zerbi is remarkable. You know, if you look at, look at the Prem, they're the, they're the fourth highest scoring team in the league this season. I mean, they've scored more goals than, than Newcastle United. Yeah, Newcastle United yeah. with the expensively assembled forward line. Then Manchester United with all our, you know, our attacking, all these attacking wide players, you know, for our, for our lack of striker, for whatever you want to say at Manchester United, there's still an expensively assembled squad with lots of attackers who've proven over the years that they're capable of delivering. But still, this Brighton team just seems to yeah. outperform them. Brighton even scored more than... And Tottenham with Harry Kane and Son and Richarlison and Kulisevsky, it's just, it's, it's remarkable. It's truly remarkable. And it, part of me wonders if, if, if they're going to be able to hold on, not just to some of the key players, but Roberto De Zerbi. Because if I tell you what, if I was in Tottenham, if I was in Daniel Levy, I'd be knocking on that door to try and get uh, Roberto De Zerbi to come across to, uh, to White Hart Lane. And you know what's ironic about that is, I mean, I think everybody thought when, you know, when, when Chelsea came knocking for for Potter, you know, I think everybody thought, oh, this might derail their season. And then as we know, I mean, I think they also moved for some of their backroom staff and, you know, all, all these sort of key scouts that were picking up these these gems for, for zero money. Um, and, you know, obviously, I, I mean, gosh, Chelsea's recruitment looks even worse than ever. And But, but you know, I don't think generally people were thinking... Yeah, sure, Potter, he's the guy that's going to Chelsea to the next level, you know. And yet, so somehow, they, they actually, if Potter moves on, they get into Zervi and, and look even better. I mean, it's, it's what a success story. I mean, I, you know, I mean I'm, I'm really glad for them, yeah. And, and sort of, you know, hopefully they, they can you know, maintain that, you know, for, for a few years. Not, well, I mean, possibly indefinitely, you know, not that it's not another Leicester or a whoever it may be, you know? Yeah, very much so. I, I think we, we need to move on, but just final mention, to a similar vein to a team in the ascendancy is, is Aston Villa under Una Emery. I mean, Emery took over the Villa who were, I think, in the relegation slots at that time. Uh, Steven Gerrard, like... 16th or 17th, probably, but very, very close. I mean, a point or two off. Of yeah, and, and, you know, the, the famous debate of uh, who was... Who was worse, Steven Gerrard or, or Frank Lampard as manager? You know, it's taken a slightly different <laughs> turn from their playing days where we yeah. discussed who, you know, their, their, their attacking merits. Nonetheless, outstanding performance with uh, Emery being in the Conference League. And I tell you what, given his record in uh, European competition, no one will want to face uh, Villa in the Conference League next season. Yeah, it could be silverware time. Look, and, and as a Man United fan, I mean, we, we all know that if you... If you're playing a European competition and you look in a mirror three times and say, and say good evening three times, uh, Unai appears behind you and, and knocks you out <laughs> of the competition. It's, uh, yeah. That he does. That he does. Um, <laughs> speaking of Manchester United, the Manchester United women's team, Ruben, I think this needs special mention. The women's team finished second in the WSL, two points behind the mighty Chelsea team. 
widely regarded as one of the, well, definitely the best team in England and, and one of the dominant forces in across Europe, finished two points behind Chelsea in the league and lost in the cup final as well. A truly remarkable season. When you consider that the Manchester United women's team, again, because the Glazers are incompetent, was only founded in 2018, a mere five years ago, and had to you know, work our way up the league system, get into uh, the WSL. And, and not a couple of years ago, the previous manager, Casey Stoney, resigned saying that you know, there was a lack of direction, there was a lack of commitment from, again, same board and, and, and directors who our club is uh, unhappy with. So I think that uh, remarkable performance from the women's team. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's it's you know, I mean, for a team that didn't exist five years ago, uh, really impressive. Well, you know, they did exist more than five years ago. I mean, one of the many thing the sticks that we can beat the Glazers with, of course, is they disbanded the women's team. I forget the early two thousands, maybe two thousand five, something like that. And um, you know, I mean, I, I think it just is sort of a testament to also just the sort of growth. I think more generally of of the women's game that you sort of we've hit a point where. You know, uh, you know. I mean, I think just uh, commercially and in terms of uh, you know the, the popularity of the game, they just couldn't continue to ignore it. And and you know, I think I've actually uh, yeah invested quite successfully in the squad. I mean, just uh, you know, absolutely gutted that it came down to uh, you know that it came down to effectively two one nil losses to Chelsea away from winning the uh, winning the double. Because I mean, I, th- I think looking back at the stats, uh, you know, they. You know the women's team. Kieran, remind me. I mean, they won seven or eight or something like that of their yeah. of their last games, and then their last. You know, and and the thing was, it was Chelsea. It was that one 0 loss to Chelsea, which was their previous loss. So, I mean, that's literally, uh, unfortunately, two season defining losses, but but still, nevertheless, a fantastic achievement. Yes, in fact, um, if you go back, I think I believe in the league after the last ten games in the league, the women's team won nine, with only a single loss being to Chelsea, and and again the final. Also, one nil loss to Chelsea, so really narrow. And 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 I hope this inspires whoever our new owners are going to be to invest in this uh, this team and this project and really see it through. Because there's no reason why Manchester United women can't, sh- uh, you know shouldn't be competing and inspiring young young boys and girls. Uh, in fact, like the men's team have inspired us for yeah. so many years and. To really, you know, see the women's team suddenly, all of a sudden, appear on, on major broadcasters across the world, um, I think it's fantastic, and and I, and I really hope that this is going to be a turning point, and and we see this team go from strength to strength. Yeah, absolutely. No, looking looking forward to their performances next season. Speaking sure. of another team that uh, finished strongly, um, the Manchester United men's team. Well, Slide predicted that a loss to. Slide, who isn't here, by the way, because of illness, unfortunately, uh, predicted a loss to, um, or feared that we wouldn't get the results, perhaps, against Chelsea and Fulham. Um, glad to say uh, two reasonably decent victories, uh, comfortable against Chelsea, and then a come-behind victory at home against Fulham to see off a strong end to the season. Yeah, I, it's it's kind of sad. I, I was threatening uh, Slide all week that uh, I couldn't wait for the I told you so segment and uh you know i have to question is he really sick or, or is he just hiding from uh, from having to report back uh on on our games last weekend but uh yeah that was uh, it was very satisfying into the season i mean look that chelsea game it, it was uh, look i mean it wasn't a true the floodgate gates opening but nevertheless it was our first uh four 
four goal win of the season. So, so that was great. And, and an absolutely incredible stat. It was our highest XG that we've uh, achieved literally since they started tracking XG stats, which is, you know, so well over a decade, I think, by now. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a weird game. You know, it felt a little bit like uh, sort of two, two drunkards at a, at a bar slugging away at each other at, at times in that game, certainly in the, in the early part of the game. But then I think when we sort of eventually, you know, when, when Chelsea had done with, with missing, you know, the, the several chances that they had flashing across a goal, we, we obviously then managed to start piling on and, and had a really good-looking victory. I think it was, I mean, last week we asked where are the goals going to come from. It turns out everywhere. Uh, Casemiro just with yet another important goal in another important game. Uh, Martial chipping in, Rashford chipping in. You know, it's sort of like a, a really, yeah, like, like a really nice to see a, a sort of, maybe not complete performance, but but certainly a performance where we, we sort of seem to get a little bit, you know, you know actually get the, the heart racing a little bit and the blood pumping to, to actually see us, uh, you know, be able to, to sort of attack and, and produce some some sort of eye-catching football. Yeah, and, we, and which, I mean, it's kind of strange that, that for all that, I mean, we'll certainly, yeah, play play better and score fewer goals, which is actually, I think, what happened at, at the next game at, at Fulham. Did you manage to catch a game, Kieran? So I caught the Chelsea game. I couldn't catch the Fulham game as we were on the way to the stadium to see the Valencia-Espanol game. Um, but I believe somewhat of a near miracle occurred. There was a, I believe there was a David de Gea penalty save. Yeah, one for the collector's books. That's that's for sure, and and actually a pretty good save. You know, I, I did funny enough see that that he he saved three he saved three penalties in the last two seasons, which is I think the second most by any keeper. So you know, I mean, I I don't know if he has perhaps changed his technique. I think I, I read something like that, or if he's changed his approach, or, or exactly what it might be. But you know, good to see that he did actually stop one of those. Nothing that has yet quelled the debate about does Dave need to be our number one next season. But uh, that you know, it was again that thing you talk about that that moment player, and and he really dug up, found one of those moments. Okay, look, not an absolutely clutch game. It didn't change our season all that much, but but still, you know, absolutely swung. Sort of a you know team that looked like it was going to sleep a little bit uh, you know with that initial run against the uh, play goal somewhat from Fulham and then a second goal I think would have been the nail in the coffin and so to dig out that save uh, you could see I mean fr- honestly from that moment on uh, we were on the front foot uh, our passing suddenly looked slick uh, you know I mean we were doing a lot of uh, one touch passes that that sort of hadn't really been attempting you know we, we'd been very stodgy in possession in, in games gone by even with that bizarre or, well not bizarre. With that, with that sort of haul we got at, at Chelsea, certainly our, our sort of uh, quick touch interchange and interplay uh, along the uh, top of the top of the sort of penalty area was was a lot more impressive than it has been in other seasons. Well, in other games this season. So yeah, it's sort of a good good result overall. Um, nice to see some of the names are getting on the score sheet. Um, you know, absolutely filthy assist from Fred for for Bruno's goal. Uh, you know, the, again, the duality of, of Fred, uh, you know, is, was uh, on full display for everyone to see. But, but yeah, a beautiful pass for, for another goal for Bruno to, to slot behind. So, yeah, it sort of ends up being a, a pretty good season, all told. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously we'll, we'll sort of debate probably after the FA Cup our feelings on whether it was a truly successful season or not. But, uh, but yeah, a good, good way to round out the league season in, in particular. Um, and despite all the debates a few weeks back um, about, you know, is Liverpool going to catch us? Can we get three wins out of four? Well, we've made it four out of four and, and yeah, second highest points total since 
since Alex um, since Alex left. Um, so yeah, I think certainly based on these last two games, not not all that much to complain about. Yeah, somewhat satisfying, and I think if 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 you were to be honest. The beginning of the season, you know, we, I think you shared, I believe you shared one of those, uh, the pundits in the UK sharing their top four picks. And I think we, you know, in some of our circles that we have, not many people picked Manchester United to be in the top four. If you think we've been upfront about it at the beginning of the season, Manchester City looked uh, strong as always. Everyone was touting Spurs after their excellent tra- uh, transfer window and the momentum they had from the previous season with Antonio Conte. You had Liverpool as mainstays after spending, you know, further investing in their squad, more big money signings up front. So really, it felt like those three were those three were going to be, you know, in a battle for for the Premier League, if anything. And then came the rest, trying to figure it out. You know, they still had Chelsea with their huge huge uh, pockets and Thomas Tuchel at the helm. So I think really most people thought that the top four compromise of those four teams, and you know, the disaster ending to the season under Ralph Ragnick. And then the beginning yeah. of our season, uh, you know, Brentford and the like, no one really saw Manchester United finishing in the top four. So to, you know, turn it around and finish with, as you say, 75 points, I think is a decent performance. It's a step It's in the right direction. I think more than anything, there's a bit of stability and a platform to build from. And, uh, you know, cup down, another potentially to go. The FA Cup's obviously going to be very difficult against this Manchester City side who um, have the luxury of resting, essentially resting their 11 this past weekend. How do you see our chances against City? I mean, bearing in mind, we have beaten them this season, so it's not impossible. How do you see the FA Cup final going? And what are the prospects? I hear some murmurings about potentially Lisandro Martinez being available and potentially Anthony somehow miraculously being available. So... Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Ruben? Yeah, look, I mean, obviously the the Anthony injury, you know, at the time, you know, and uh, you know, he's got his detractors, and and certainly, you know, amongst the people that that we sort of you know tend to chat about football with, uh, you know, he's, he's, I think, divisive would even be a kind way of putting it. The figure, you know, I think a lot of them are already chalking him up as being an utter failure. You know, my take has always been, I, I think he uh, ex- executes the tactical instructions that, that Erkton Haag wants almost to perfection. He hasn't been flashy yet, but I think that'll come. Uh, I think as his, as his maturity improves, I think even towards the tail end of the season, you know, he's been more willing to take on his man, got an assist off his right foot a couple games back, which I don't even, I think most of us weren't even aware that his right foot existed, you know, so... You know, I, I, yeah, certainly. I, I generally think that he's probably going to come good as a, as an important player for us. And and the previous time he was injured this season, you could see our, our balance was off. We suddenly again reverted to, to being left wing FC. You know, suddenly we had nothing really coming through that right hand side. Um, you know, we weren't able to recycle possession as effectively, which is one thing that that you know he he's very effective at is is that sort of ball retention. Uh, you know, kind of almost incrementally moving things up the pitch. You know, all those kinds of things he's good at, the unglamorous things or the things that you don't necessarily, you know, you can't point to a, a sort of flashy stat to, to back up what he's he's good at, but certainly he does those things. Initially, when he went off injured, I thought this is, you know, even looking towards the FA Cup final, possibly a bit of a, a bit of an issue. Luckily, I mean, Jadon Sancho has looked really good these last two games playing on the right. It was initially, initially sort of enforced in the latter part of the Chelsea game that he had to come on and... and well, not come on rather, but at least he had to switch over onto the other wing. And, you know, it looked like, a, you know, he said he put in a good performance there. I think probably got robbed of a, a couple of assists, to be honest, but but chipping in with a, a really 
It's a, a vital goal as well in in these last couple of games. Goal and assist, I think. You know, he's just he's looked good. He's looked positive. He's he's looked more confident. So I I think that's hopefully if he can you know if Anthony can't make it, he's sort of getting into form. I think the more important one is Martinez, as as I've spoken about before. I I think his distribution is absolutely key to to how we play. It takes some of the pressure off the player, um, and and it kind of lets us have somebody, you know, because, you know, even where we don't have guys who, you know, I mean, Casemiro, sure, he's great at breaking up play and winning back the ball. He's not, I don't think, particularly good this season at any rate, been, been particularly good at, at hanging on to the ball. Ericsson, you know, he might spray some really nice passes. Again, not somebody who, who sort of has necessarily been good at that initial build-up play. And so I think we've missed Martinez with that. And, and I think if he can play, it'll be a pretty important uh, part of the lineup. I also suspect you know, that he, you know, when we won, and Kieran, I mean, you can correct me, the Old Trafford game, Fred, I think, did start, right? Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I believe, I believe Fred was, there was a game where Fred was running around and looked like a pressing machine and been bothered and harried and harassed the Man City uh, midfield. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that is my, yeah, that's, that was exactly it, that Fred played, uh, that, that's a very important role harrying I mean as we know he can he can do you know that's just kind of a key part of his role and you know when I saw him start now this this game against Fulham I mean yes maybe it was an issue of 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 resting Ericsson but I also think it may have been with an eye to potentially get him on the pitch against City so yeah you know it's it's tough I mean I think obviously it's it's probably City's to lose you know I mean I think they you know, I haven't been. I mean, look. I mean, they went in, I suppose, particularly good form these last couple of games at the end of the season. But I mean, once you've won the league, is there all that much to read into your form? Of course, there is the danger of sort of taking your foot off the pedal and and not being. Uh, you know, if I had to look at our guys, you know, I mean, I think these two games have have really put them on the front foot. So, am I more confident than I was maybe a week ago when we were chatting? I do think so. Um, do I think that City are still favoured? Yeah, probably. You know, just looking on on balance at the whole season. But that said, I mean, yeah, we we've certainly have put in. You know, we certainly game at Old Trafford. I thought we did look pretty good against them. So it's, you know, probably something that that we could could pull off. Yeah, hopefully. and perhaps a bit of a an omen uh, of sorts. That game in in January, we were without Lisandro Martinez because he was still you know, recovering from his World Cup winning exertions and the parties that were going on in Buenos Aires. His hangovers. <laughs> he was actually just on the bench in that game and. Uh, Anthony did not start either. We had Bruno playing on the right uh, instead, doing a lot of the creative work and driving balls into the box, and he's harrying and pressing. And so you had Fred, Casemiro, and uh, Eriksson uh, along the middle. So, yeah, uh, very interesting that could potentially, if uh, Anthony and Lisandro are un- unavailable, it could be a very similar lineup to the one that defeated um, Manchester City uh, in January. Yeah, that that would be an interesting prospect. Yeah, and of course it's uh, it's not the not the Eddie had. It's a neutral venue. It's a it's a big game, and these one-off cup games, you never know. <laughs> you know, anyone anyone can beat anyone on on the day, except Inter. We probably won't beat uh, City at Champions League final. But. Yeah, uh, I guess it's very much uh, up to us to stop uh, to stop the uh, treble. Uh, I I think that's it for today. I think uh, we'll be back in a week's time, uh, looking back at the FA Cup final. Hopefully with um, a positive uh, performance uh, and or result to um, report on. That's all from us this week at the United Bias. Thank you for stopping by.